Welcome to episode 164 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Bilo, and I am really glad that you have joined me today. Happy New Year. Since I last posted, which was at the end of 2017, I've moved across the country from Washington State to Michigan. And lots of things have been in transition, and it's not just the weather. <laughs> Everyone wants to ask me about the weather. And um, yes, definitely there is a change between Washington and Michigan, but we've not gotten as much snow as we usually would get here in Michigan. So it's a little disappointing. So if you're listening from Michigan, uh, maybe you'll join me in a little bit of a snow dance uh, to bring some to the area. After months of planning and goodbyes, it has felt good to be getting settled into our new home and slowly but surely making new connections. If you've ever done a big move to a completely new community where you have no family, you know a bit about what I've been experiencing. From an introvert perspective, it has been challenging. The time leading up to and right around the move was full of phone calls and people, coffee dates and gatherings. It called on every last extrovert cell I had in my body. (laughs) And so now that things have quieted down a little bit, um, I am kind of taking advantage of my opportunity to introvert and to recharge. And I've been experiencing and enjoying some relative peace and quiet. But partly as a result of my routine being turned upside down, I'm finding myself in somewhat of an unusual place, and that's feeling uninspired. The best way I can put it as the well is feeling very dry. It happens to most entrepreneurs at some point. Heck, it happens to most people at some point. And it can feel like we're not sure what's next, or that we're a little bit adrift, or we're just not picking up any sparks that would reignite our motivation. Has that happened to you? Because right now I'm experiencing it and I'm just noticing it and letting it be. I'm reminding myself to be compassionate with where I'm at and not to force things. What's interesting and I suppose obvious is that I also know that I can't wait to feel inspired to take action. I think I've seen little cartoons or memes where it shows like, you know, a skeleton and, you know, cobwebs and everything sitting on it. And and underneath the caption says something like, um, he was waiting for inspiration to strike. (laughs) And, and so we can't, we can't sit around and let ourselves sit dormant, just waiting for inspiration. And life moves on and we need to move with it. But there is a difference between meeting ourselves where we're at and force feeding ourselves inspiration in the hope that spark will happen. I'd rather not force anything. I've learned in the past that that doesn't really get me anywhere. But I do end up making progress when I listen to the rhythms of my heart and my mind, trusting that as I take small steps, I'll start to breathe more easily and more freely again. If you're in that same spot or you find yourself there in the future, that's my invitation to you. Meet yourself where you're at. Notice where you're at without judgment. Be compassionate and patient with yourself and keep moving, knowing that through action, you will create the sparks and you will create your way. And if you're lacking inspiration, my guest today is one person who can help you get it back. Jeffrey Shaw is a repeat guest, last on this podcast in April 2016. From Jeffrey's perspective, having a keen eye isn't just for what one sees, but also for what one senses. 
Having been one of the most sought-after portrait photographers in the United States for more than three decades, Jeffrey Shaw, aka The Lingo Guy, uses his honed intuition to teach entrepreneurs how to attract their ideal customers by speaking their secret language. Jeffrey is host of the popular business podcast, Creative Warriors, a nationally acclaimed keynote speaker, a business coach for entrepreneurs, and author of the recently released book, Lingo, Discover Your Ideal Customer Secret Language and Make Your Business Irresistible. Hey, Jeffrey, welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm so delighted that you are one of the very few people that I've had as a repeat guest. So I am really looking forward to our conversation. Oh, well, thank you. I didn't know that. That's an honor. But before I was getting on the mic with you today, I was thinking how much my whole body goes at ease when I know I'm going to speak to a fellow introvert. Mm. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I was just really looking forward to this as well. Excellent. Well, what is making you smile today? Mm, gosh, you know, probably what makes me smile most days are my my two four-legged furry friends um, <laughs> that demand I take them out four or five times a day. And sometimes, you know, begrudgingly I do it, but yeah. they always make me smile. So, yeah, my dogs. Yeah, nice. <laughs> well, I just got done giving mine a little bit of time outside and I'm sitting here looking down at my cat. And uh, she always likes to be a partner in the podcast. So. That's great. That's great. <laughs> occasionally she chimes in. Now, do your dogs ever chime um, in? <laughs> they're downstairs in a separate room, so we do our best for that not to be the case because uh, they get barking. Yep. But yeah, I just I usually just pray nobody knocks on the door. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Sets the hounds loose. <laughs> exactly. Well, I know that we've had a conversation before and talked about this, but some people might be hearing our voices together for the first time. So I'd like to give them some context about where you fall on the introvert extrovert spectrum and how that awareness has influenced your path. Gosh, it's, you know, as you know, because you're the expert in this, there's so many layers to being an introvert that I almost don't I, I almost don't know how to answer that. And it seems like the further mm-hmm. maybe the further I get in my career, the more the harder it becomes to answer, because I I used to say, you know, I think maybe the last time you asked me, I probably said I felt like I was a trained introvert, like mm-hmm. I trained my way out of it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that it's that anymore either. So I'd say I'm a, I think I'm a committed introvert, like I'm super committed <laughs> to, well, not being an introvert, but I'm super committed to the work that I do. And that requires that I step out of it. So it's, you know, I don't, it's a tough question anymore because I still consider myself an introvert, but no one would think that by seeing the way I behave and the way I am in the world. Yeah. And at the same time, I try not to hold on to that because I don't want it to hold me back either. Right. Mm -hmm. But how it, so how it affects me is that I, I know to the further I get away from the core of being an introvert, the further I stretch myself, which putting this book lingo out and and all the things I'm doing, the further I stretch, the more I know to take care of myself. Yeah. And I think that's where it, you know, knowing at the basis of it that I still consider myself an introvert, I, I think that's that's important. Yeah, it's um, I think the more we understand sort of where we are on that spectrum and our core, then, yeah, we do. We recognize when we're stretching even one way or the other, like an extrovert could be stretching into introversion mm-hmm. and recognizing, OK, so that's that's a stretch for me. And how do I take care of myself? I balance it out with the other energy that I need. Yeah. And I think introverts are especially attuned into that because most of the most of society's default is if we're quote unquote stretching we're stretching into people we're stretching into interaction and socialization and all of that 
fun stuff. Yeah, it's and... a great way of putting it. You know, I, I, I don't, yeah, and I don't know that you even know this, but I moved to Miami Beach just shy of two years ago. We're just coming on my yeah. on two years. And it wasn't a plan. I mean, I came down for three months getting away from New York City winters and I never left. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason was because of what I found, which ties in perfectly to what we're talking about, is that in New York City, which of course is, you know, that's not the city of introverts, yeah. um, you know, it, everything's just, but I'm grateful for New York City and I've lived there a good chunk of my adult life, but in it made me think big and act big and accomplish big things. But what I found when I came down here is as an introvert, that because my life had gotten so much bigger and the traveling and the demands of it and the stretching, I found that living on the beach, the environment could take care of my introversion for me. Like I could Mm. go on the beach and the ocean and the environment took, did the work for me. So I found it to be a quick way of recovering. So when I'm stretching and out traveling and being on stages, I could fly home to Miami Beach and and recharge so quickly that I never was able to fully do in New York without a lot of effort. It required, unfortunately, in New York, it required going to the gym. So unfortunately, (laughs) I I no longer feel like I have to go to the gym. So it's killed my motivation (laughs) because I can just go sit on the beach. Well, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But um, yeah, I found that. So for me, I've just allowed the environment to really take care of a lot of the the needs of an introvert, if you will. Yeah, that's a great point. And and I hope anyone listening out to to think about um, if you're finding yourself in those kinds of uh, situations where you don't get that, maybe the work you do or the city you live in isn't necessarily conducive to that sort of downtime. What can you do in your space? You know, take a close look at your physical space and where you're hanging out and where you're choosing to recharge that even in the midst of chaos, perhaps you can, you can carve out a little beach of your own <laughs> if, if that's uh, what you have to do. <laughs> Perfect. Well said. Yep, exactly. Well, I want to, I want to shift gears and talk about lingo because I'm excited for you and excited for this book to be out there. And um, there were several things, of course, you know, many things that um, we could talk about in regard to the book, but I have a few that I wanted to focus on. And one of them is, you share in lingo, and and lingo is about you know uh, maybe instead of me saying it, why don't you say <laughs> in yeah. lingo in a nutshell? How would you describe your your mission? So well, uh, I'll actually just give the subtitle too because that says a lot too. So lingo, it's so the book is lingo. Discover your ideal customer's secret language and make your business irresistible. Mm. So the mission of of lingo, and it's interesting how honestly I don't I don't know that I could ever have written this book if I wasn't an introvert, uh, certainly earlier in life. And I actually think that's the perfect business book for anyone who identifies as an introvert, because it's it actually uses the skills that we're best at. So let me break that apart. For one, I don't know that I could have ever written this book if I hadn't been an incredibly shy kid until my mid-20s and that, that living that introvert because it made me a masterful observer. It's actually why I became a photographer. And I think yeah. you and I spoke with this last time. I mean, I became a photographer because it's the ideal mm-hmm. profession for an introvert, particularly back in the day when I became a photographer yeah. because there were dark rooms. So talk about isolation. It was ideal. <laughs> I didn't have to make eye contact. Exactly. So um, so actually, I mean, literally is why I chose to become a photographer. So what it has allowed me to do in my 33 years as an entrepreneur is become an incredible observer. And in that practice, I really paid attention to how I built a business. And, and largely what I did, this idea of speaking a secret language, is to know how to connect with people in a really deep, meaningful way, how to connect with their heart. Mm-hmm. And I think this is absolutely imperative today. And, and Beth, probably the thing that excites me most about business and the future of business is that I think we're turning into a world that is is much more of an energetic uh, connection in business. Yeah. 
we no longer will tolerate. I don't care if you're the best in your field. If I don't like you, if I don't trust you, I'm not going to do business with you. Mm -hmm. A quote I use all the time is people don't hire you because you're the best. They hire you because you get them and they get you. It's that feeling of getting one another that gets you the work. Mm -hmm. And these are the things that we introverts are best at. So I think in the future of business, instead of businesses, you know, talking about avatars and buyer personas, hopefully they'll be talking about lingo. I want lingo to be the new marketing buzzword where we have to speak people's secret language. We have to get into their hearts. We have to, with empathy, understand what the world looks like from their perspective before we have the right to earn their business. Mm-hmm. And these are the things that we're best at, right? We're really yeah. good listeners. We're empathetic. And these are the qualities that it takes to listen so subtly to almost the unspoken word. That's the irony of writing a book called Lingo. A lot of it is about what's <laughs> unspoken. Right, right. <laughs> that unspoken energy where you say, I don't know why I'm drawn. I don't know why I'm loyal to this brand, but I feel like this brand or this business or this entrepreneur gets me. Mm-hmm. And that's why I wrote the book. So I said, I, I don't know that I could have written it if I didn't have that history of being an introvert and being an, an amazing observer. And it excites me to have written it for people that I think this is going to use their best skill set in the future of business. Yeah, absolutely. Terrific tools to leverage what we already have. And there's there's one thing you, you said that jumped out at me when you were talking about, what was it, people don't like because people don't buy from you because you're the best. They buy because you get them and they get you. Yes. And it seems to me when you have that, then you are quote unquote, the best for that person. Exactly. And they're probably the best for you. So it's like we we can get ourselves all worked up about the comparison and competition and being the best and, you know, all that sort of thing. But really, it's like you're saying, it's about finding that language and that connection and getting one another that leads to them saying, you are the best for me. me." Can I add to that? Because yeah, that you hit you hit the nail on the head. You got it so right. I mean, that as a photographer, I would never say I'm the the best photographer. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means, right? I mean, most photographers, mm-hmm. I could I could give you a list of many photographers. I like their work better than mine, but I and, and that's not coming from a place of oh, I'm shy, I'm lacking self worth. That's mm-hmm. just that's how I feel. But what I will say with confidence is that I'm the best photographer for my clients. Mm-hmm. Like I serve a very affluent clientele and I'm so good at serving them and being the right photographer for them because of what I teach in lingo, because of what I, the self-study and the study of who I wanted to serve and who I was meant to serve at a very young age, age of 23. Yeah. It's it's the fact that I took the time to do that, that makes me the best photographer for them. Yes. And I still stand by that. So you're absolutely right. It's it's not about being the, I just think that has gotten so confused because uh, we, we tend to think that we have to be the, the best in our field. And you know, you and Beth, you and I both know that try to try to compete on price, try to mm. compete on being the best, yeah. trying to be compete on service when you're being compared to Amazon, <laughs> <laughs> be trying to be or Zappos, right? You know, yeah. trying to compete on experience like those are losing battles. Yeah. But you can separate yourself from the competition when you are the the best for the people that you're meant to serve. Yeah, nice. Well, you're you're reminding you're you're crystallizing for me why sometimes I bristle when I come across a, a coach's website, particularly because I think, how can you say I'm the best coach for whatever? Um, but why I bristle sometimes when people um, put that out there, and it's like part of me says, "Wow, that's you know that's confident and and whatnot." They obviously believe in their abilities. On the other hand, I'm like, 
the best for who? The best for what? Right. And so um, thank you, because that um, helps me to know why I get triggered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's because you're, you're authentic and, yeah, you know, you, you can smell it when it isn't. <laughs> exactly. Well, so you share in lingo, like we've just been talking about, that one of the keys to connecting to your ideal client is being able to speak their language. And I understand about trying to empathize and experience the world from their perspective even when it's very different from my own. And I know you tell that story about your own background and then how you came into photography and then how you came into your ideal client. So how do I show up authentically? Because you also talk about authenticity as being, you know, really key. When my story is in a completely different language than the person that I'm meant to serve. Mm, such a great question. Um, it's actually because the language is based on values. The, mm. the, 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 to speak someone's secret language is actually based on something authentic. It's your, your authentic values and, you know, your, your authentic empathy for them, mm -hmm. right? So in my case, in the story that I tell right in the beginning of Lingo to put the whole thing into context is that, you know, I grew up lower middle class at best mm -hmm. and wound up photographing and serving the wealthiest people in the country, mm -hmm. right? So the key thing is, though, uh, you know, I've always had a problem with the phrase fake it till you make it. Yeah, me now, too. I get it. I understand the confidence, right? I understand the confidence behind it. Yep. I understand, like, you know, when you go to medical school, I, I believe you're you're referred to as doctor from the day you enter. So I get the I get the value of that. So you take ownership for your role. Sure. But it just creeps me out. Like, I just hold you fake it till you make it. So it's never about faking. I never pretended I was like my clients, they knew. I mean, it was obvious I was a poor kid. I mean, it was obvious I didn't have a great car. And I did the, I made sure I was always professional. But I mean, I wasn't kidding anybody, but I wasn't trying to. Yeah. But where I showed up authentically, and the reason, the whole reason why I understood that this is who I was meant to serve was because of values. Mm -hmm. So as the story I tell in the book, I struggled for three years when I returned to my hometown to start my photography business. And I struggled. Well, let's just say, let's call it for what it is. I was failing mm. <laughs> because my values were, even though that's the town I grew up in, yeah. I must have been a fish out of water because my values were so different. I became a photographer because I have a very high value for thinking way down the road. Mm -hmm. I think about, you know, I, people handing down photographs. I love one of my favorite brands is Seven Generation, mm -hmm. Seventh Generation. Right, um, right. And it says right on the bottle, like the philosophy is, is that the decisions we make today affect seven generations. Yeah. That's why it's called seventh generation. Mm -hmm. So, and I believe in that philosophy. So I'm always thinking so far down the road. And I realized the reason I was failing in my hometown is that I was promoting values of long-term handing down photographs in a community that didn't know if they could pay their rent that month or their yeah. mortgage. Yeah. And so there's such a, such a, our, our values didn't match up. So the reason that I was authentically able to show up to an affluent clientele was because my values were authentic and so were theirs and they matched. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's never about how I presented myself, whether I presented authentic, the core of who I am was authentically concerned about the same things they are, concerned about things like, you know, making sure all their children were treated equally. Mm -hmm. Right. I was the youngest of three boys, you know, the hand me downs. There's no photographs of my childhood, all those things. <laughs> so I understood the impact of that. But you know what? What I had to learn is that with an affluent family, that's not an option. If money is not an issue, mm -hmm. there's no excuse to not treat your children equally. You can't send two of your kids to Ivy League and one to community college. Right. 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 So there was such a matching of authentic values 
that of course I showed up authentically. And I think that's such, I'm glad you brought it up because I think it's so important for people to understand that to understand and speak the secret language of your clientele is in no way conniving, clever, or manipulative. Yeah. It comes from a place of true empathy without judgment, without assumption, that you really understand who they are, what they value, and you share that language. That's what the secret language is all about. Yeah. Boy, so many things pop up into my head and, and <laughs> as, as you're sharing that. And, and I'll share one of them quickly is, is just that um, I really appreciate that clarification because I can think, for instance, I mean, there's probably a lot of people that want to serve an above average to affluent clientele. Mm-hmm. And for um, many of us, you know, I, I join you in that not an affluent upbringing club. Um, we can make up stories about them. We can make up stories about their values. Mm-hmm. I know that I could make up a story and say, you know, they only care about acquiring their next car, <laughs> you know, for instance, or they're all about the yeah. vacation. And I know all that the children are raised by nannies. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They have, they have all the money in the world, but they're not really happy. I, I was right. raised on all these, Beth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> thankfully I didn't buy into them. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, that's I think that's the difference is, you know, whether or not we bought into them. And if we did buy into them, are we willing to challenge them? And are we willing to be wrong yes. <laughs> in many regards to say, wow, okay, this person's a human being. They actually really do care about the same things that I care about. And they're not snobby. They're not, you know, whatever it insert, you know, the derogatory label here, yeah. that they're human beings. And um, it's just challenging us right. to, to challenge our stories about whoever it is exactly. that we want to serve, especially if they are different from us on the outside. Yeah. And it, it taught working with this clientele actually taught me the benefits of being successful, which inspired me to want to yeah. be successful. Yeah. Because yeah. what you found is that you know, with money became a certain amount of their their priority hands down. The families I worked with, their priority is their family. Mm. You know, I mean, they're, the children are not raised by nannies. I work with clients who have more staff in the home than there are family members. <laughs> but it's what they choose to do themselves. They absolutely choose to drive their child to soccer right. over some, you know, administrative task that needs to be done for the house. Yeah. Right. Their children, their family are their priority. And having the money and getting the support in your lives to uh, have the freedom to do that is what was in- important to them. It actually inspired me to want to become successful because mm-hmm. when I really, you know, without the judgment, without the assumptions, found that there's a real benefit to being successful and <laughs> yes. having money and being able to put your attention to where it's really meaningful in your lives. Um, so, yeah. yeah, it's really, it's actually, it is something I, I speak of. Um, you know, one of the, the format of lingo is interesting in that it is three quarters of the book is very strategic, very businesslike. But the last quarter of the book, or last, you know, about a quarter of the book, I really fought hard to include, and one would definitely say that the last quarter of the book is self-help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was very intentional because I did not want to be a contributor to uh, you know constantly giving out strategies, and which are important, and action steps are important, but helping people unblock what's in their way yeah. and also helping people create an inward flow is important. Otherwise, this is where people get stuck on the hamster wheel. They keep applying strategies and action steps, but they're not unblocking what's what's in their way, and they're not opening up the channels for a, a more abundant inflow. Inflow, and one of the one of the challenges I pose in the self help section of it is exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I I challenge people to ask themselves, do you have any negative opinions about the people you want to serve? <laughs> right. 
And to be really honest about that Mm -hmm. because – or you know, for that matter, do you have any negative opinions about what it means to be successful, what it means to have money? Because a lot of people were say – I mean I've heard people say I'm afraid to become successful because I don't want it to change me. Mm. Well, what are the chances you're going to become successful? And or if you did, would you like yourself? Right, right. It's really important to get that out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to like yourself when you're not successful, <laughs> you know, by your by your own standards, Absolutely. if you're going to like yourself when you're successful. Yes. So it's, yeah, <laughs> all sorts of things there to unpack. Most definitely. Um, yeah. So this is going to feel like an abrupt shift of gears, but it's, um, you know, something that, <laughs> that stood out to me. And um, you talk about the noise of the marketplace. And I, and I know that you're, the secret language is one of those ways that we can cut through. So what are some of those ways that we can make it easy for someone to say yes um, to walking through our literal or our virtual front door when there's so much mm-hmm. competition out there and, and noise? Yeah. And I'm glad you actually refer to it as the literal or virtual uh, door <laughs> because mm-hmm. I was very careful of that in writing lingo too because you know my background is so – I had a storefront for 22 years. Um, so I had a very mm-hmm. brick-and-mortar presence. But of course now as a coach, it's entirely different. Now it's – my whole yeah. life is online. So I actually um, – Yes, somebody uh, give you a little uh, sidebar here that somebody had asked me when I first started writing the book, which was a good challenge. She said to me, "What gives you the authority to write this book?" Uh, yeah, and you know, <laughs> I know it's like uh, uh. right. I mean, at first I kind of collapsed on my own fear. It's like oh, mm-hmm. I have no education. You know, it's like I, I don't have a PhD. You're right, I have no authority. But I realized that of course I have authority, and there, there, what gives me the authority to write this book is I've actually lived life on the opposite yeah. sides mm-hmm. of many fences. You know, grew up poor, wound up serving rich people, was, a you know, suffered from shyness. Mm-hmm. And I could give you many other more personal examples, but I've lived my life on the opposite sides of, of many uh, offenses. So the way of kind of cutting through the noise, if you will, is by speaking the secret language, because the whole goal here is for entrepreneurs to only work with their ideal customers. And I feel strongly with that. It, you know, we could talk further about mm-hmm. the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, and you know, why I'm out to bust that up. Um, but simply because the way to the, uh, the easiest way to the most profitable business is to work with your ideal customers. That's who you can create the greatest value with. They spend money uh, because they value what you, that you do, and mm-hmm. it's their joy to work with. And I challenge any entrepreneur to actually think about that. I think most of us have had the experience where people that were the easiest to work with spent the most amount of money and we enjoyed being with them. And then on the other hand, we jump through hoops and climb over mountains for other people who don't spend any money, right? So my feeling is you want to build a business where you're only attracting uh, that's how you cut through the noise. That to me, the, the speaking the secret language and building a, a business and the brand that communicates that is actually what cuts the noise. So let me give you a literal example. Again, it's fun for me to remember this trip I took to Italy, um, and I don't speak very much Italian at all, if if any. And I was on one of the water taxis, uh, and everyone around me is talking Italian. And if, mm-hmm. if you've ever had this experience, you know what I mean. It all just sounds like white noise, just like the marketplace. It just sounds like white noise when everyone around you is speaking a language you don't speak. The moment someone spoke English, my ears perked up, my head whipped around, Right. And I'm like, that was as clear as anything to me. It, it literally sounded like the person speaking, speaking English was at a higher volume than everybody else because it was clear. It's my native language. That's what it means to speak the secret language of your ideal customer. You're speaking their native language. They hear you and see you above the noise of the marketplace. So the concepts of lingo and the reason I wrote this book is actually to help people stand out above the rest. 
and to actually cut to that noise. So you picked up on it perfectly. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that is the goal. Yeah. <laughs> the goal is by speaking the secret language of your ideal customer, right. not everybody, your ideal customer. There's a fluency you create. And you're reminding us that it's a two-way street. Because um, mm -hmm. as I'm listening, I'm thinking, I phrase the question as someone to say yes to walking through our door. But in order for that to happen, we have to know who we, as the business owner, are saying yes to. Correct. It goes both ways. Yeah. Um, and we have to be willing yes. to kind of claim that and, and learn that language. <laughs> right. And, you know, and I've been, I've been, other people have asked me, does this mean I have to say no to a lot of people? And I was like, well, no, the fact of the matter is, if you've built your brand that's truly speaking the secret language of your customer, your ideal customer, and again, the whole point of lingo is I, I give the strategies for this so people don't have to figure it out on their own. Mm -hmm. um, the whole goal is that the only people showing up are your ideal customer. Right, right. Right. So you're not saying no, you're just, what I often say is a branding based on the strategies of lingo are both, it's, it creates a filter, it creates a magnet and a filter. Mm -hmm. So it magnetizes your ideal customer and filters out the people that just don't get you. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Well, um, I have one final question about the book. Another thing that really jumped out at me that was like, you know, little flashing lights here, because you mentioned, you know, well, what I have shared and, and maybe what you've experienced sometimes is one of the core tensions within many introvert entrepreneurs is that we need others to accomplish our goals, mm -hmm. but we're often do-it-yourselfers and lone rangers who can thrive on a solitary quest. We appreciate and we learn from community and we enjoy it, but it's not necessarily our default. And you touch on this need for others when you describe what you call a validation paradox. Mm -hmm. Would you tell us about what that is <laughs> yeah. and what we can do to reconcile that paradox? Yeah, it's, oh man, this this was the hardest chapter in the book to, to write because <laughs> I felt it so strongly. Yeah. And again, you know, Beth, as I said early on, I could this chapter I could never ever have written or even felt that needed to be said had I not identified as an introvert. Mm. There's no way, mm -hmm. right? Because it sure. was the challenges of being an introvert that, again, caused me to to observe this. And one of the things that has always, you know, sat under my skin trying to figure out is why so many amazing, creative, innovative people identify with having felt like a misfit earlier in their life yeah. or that they didn't belong where they were, sometimes even the family they were born into, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's that always fascinated me and concerned me, but I was always curious about it. And it took my own development of, you know, over my life to really come to understand why that is. And what's interesting about it is so often those of us that because we felt different, we may have felt like we were less than, you know, um, maybe less than the people around us or, you know, that's, it may even be at the root of what caused us to collapse into introversion or shyness. The fact of the matter is, as I look at it, I think a lot of those that identify with that feeling of being different actually had a very high level of consciousness to begin with. Mm -hmm. Right. And greater sensitivity to than the people around them. So they actually while they felt less than they actually had more than mm -hmm. the yeah. people around them. Yeah. Right. So then to your question, well, what do you do about that? And what I came to realize is that there's the ceiling of expectation. I, I, I ended up going into this deep study of expectation and I realized it's really not that complicated. Expectation by definition means you have a predetermined outcome. Mm -hmm. And. If we feel different, if we feel less than, we have lowered that ceiling of expectation of what we think we're capable of. 
And even when we say we're going to go beyond our expectations, at best, we're stretching a couple steps beyond what we think we're capable of. And what I realize is that and I look at the course of my life, and, and I will say, Beth, the only reason I am who I am today, the only reason I've written this book, the only reason that I'm out there doing much bigger things is because I found where I belonged. I, I by That's this really interesting thing about lingo and ideal customers. It's not just ideal customers so that you make more money. It's the ideal – your ideal customers is where you belong. They're the mm-hmm. people you belong with to serve. Mm-hmm. And what happens in that reciprocal – relationship, as you mentioned, is that they see more in you than you can see in yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I true. became more because of the ideal customers who saw more in me. And, and that just kept pulling out of me. So what I have come to conclude is the reason I call it the validation paradox is because we're the paradox is that we, we think we're on a journey to discover ourselves. The paradox is that we can only find ourselves through others. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a term that I came across in Africa called Ubuntu. Mm-hmm. And Umbu- Ubuntu means I am I because of we. Yeah. Right? So that that's the paradox. And that to me, it, it was this underlying reason why the mission behind this book is so important to me is because I do want people to work with their ideal customers, not just so they have profitable businesses, but so that the best in them can be pulled out because they're surrounded with people who can see more in them than they can see in themselves. Yeah. You become more more you, more full yes. you. And yeah, yeah it, it's so funny because you've probably had this experience as a coach. I, I know I've had it where you are working with that ideal client and it's easy. Mm, yes. Um, yeah. You feel like you're in that flow and you feel like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is who I this is who I am in my most natural, relaxed, confident, trusting state. Yes. And who wouldn't want more of that? You exactly. Know? <laughs> it's and it, you know, again, that's where you create again, you know, you know me well enough, and I think you probably experienced this too. I think it's a pretty typical trait of introverts that I can I you know Hey, even the tagline on Creative Warriors podcast is business with a soul. Like I can mm-hmm. be incredibly strategic and really woo-woo at the same time. And yes. I can <laughs> flip back and forth. And I think a lot of us introverts can do that really yeah. well. And so, yeah, working with your ideal customer is beneficial to your business. Yeah. But on the other side, the more spiritual side, it's where you create your greatest value. Mm-hmm. And where you create the greatest value, you have the biggest impact on the world. But then flip it, you know, how is that strategic? Well, those are the ideal customers are the ones that are going to be most likely to tell other people about you. Yes. So now you've actually helped your business so that you can do more of your best work. It's actually a compounding effect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a snowball compounding effect by taking the time to build a business based on speaking the secret language of your customers so you create your best value so that you get to create more of your better value. And it actually, it becomes incredibly easy. Just being in business becomes easier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you're having to work at it, then there's something off. You're not, your language is <laughs> needing some, uh, who you're speaking to and what you're speaking is probably up for uh, review. <laughs> yeah, yep. Well, I, you know, there, like I said, there's so many places we could go. So it feels like I, what, no matter where we stop, I'm cutting it off prematurely. But I'm going to uh, transition. <laughs> I'm going to transition to the that my introvert island question that I know you've answered once before, and I'm curious what's what might be different this go around. If you were granted a three week vacation on Introvert Island and you could only take three books with you, what would you take with you and why? Well, it's funny as I, I was thinking about this question. I was thinking, well, it's a three week vacation, so I'm coming back. 
because if I wasn't coming back, because there's that proverbial question on other podcasts, like if you were going off to an island and never coming back, but I'm coming back. Oh, right. right. So if I was never coming back, <laughs> yeah. I would bring things that would remind me of my children. And, you know, but since I'm coming back, I would bring three books with me that I've just dying to read, but I haven't had the chance to. <laughs> <laughs> because of all the reading mm -hmm. I do for my own podcast. So um, one is called The Magic of Getting What You Want. Mm -hmm. I mean, who doesn't want that, right? Yeah, I mean, nice. It was, Great title. That was actually recommended. Yeah, isn't it? It was actually recommended on my podcast. The other one is called A Curious Mind, which I don't know anything about, but my son bought it for me for Father's Day. And I mean, so double whammy, right? It sounds like a great book. And come your on, son your son buys it, yeah. you a book. You've got that, to kind of do it. Know, it's just <laughs> right. It's just so meaningful. Yeah. And the other one is, I think it's called Keynote Mastery, mm -hmm. which I've been dying to read. I just want to be a better, I always want to be a better speaker. Yeah. Um, so honestly, the three book, those are three books that I would bring with me on Introvert Island, um, which would, I could return from a three week vacation and be you know, better at who I am and what I do. Yeah. And, uh, and those books kind of represent that. Like I always want to grow as a person and I want to increase my skill set. Yeah. Awesome. Well, those, uh, those are great selections for that. And I will definitely share those in the podcast show notes so that others that want to track them down can do so as well. So thank you so much for that. Sure. And I'll take the vacation, by the way, so I can actually get around to reading them. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll, your ticket's in the mail. <laughs> thank How's <you>. that? <laughs> Well, Jeffrey, what is the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about Lingo as well as the Creative Warriors podcast? You can check out my podcast, Creative Warriors. It's on iTunes, Google Play, actually soon to be in Spotify. Um, and But for your listeners, I've actually put together a Lingo media kit, uh, which they can get at jeffreyshaw.com forward slash introvert. Mm -hmm. And in the Lingo media kit, there is a secret language infographic, which is the visual representation of the five-step strategy of building the secret language for your business. Uh, there's a free chapter, and the free chapter is actually the chapter on perspective, which is the foundation, step number one of everything. So it's actually the most important chapter in the whole book, mm. and I chose to give that one away for free. Nice. And a corresponding audio version of that chapter because it might be easier for some folks. And I love the audio version, Beth, because, you know, we're both podcasters. So That's I right. really kicked up the audio version. It has additional stories in it, more content, and there are sound effects. And I'm wow. I know. I'm way too excited about the sound effects. <laughs> I, I haven't even <laughs> been. My, my podcast producer will put a little chime in and I'm like, wow. No. <laughs> so sound effects are crazy. Oh, this is crazy. I mean, I, I had my whole podcast team all over. We're adding clanking awesome. bell sounds from both boats and people walking down the street and it's real the audio wow. version is totally fun so again it's lingo media kit jeffreyshaw.com forward slash introvert awesome and i will absolutely include those links i not only will i follow the links myself but i will share them awesome. Thank you. And, um, and and hope that others will uh, follow them as well so thank you so much for both the generosity that you are um, showing with your book and and offering that free resource to people as well as your generosity of sharing here with us today um, it's a pleasure as always and i wish you only the biggest success. Well, thank you so much for having me back. I mean, again, it feels a little extra special knowing that you haven't had many or any repeat guests. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Wow, there was a lot to think about from that conversation, and I hope you found it as thought-provoking as I did. You can visit theintrovertentrepreneur.com for links to Jeffrey's Introvert Island book selections, as well as information on how to connect with him and order his new book, Lingo. And again, congratulations, Jeffrey, on the publication of that book. 
If you want to learn more about my coaching, speaking, and training services, you'll also find that information at theintrovertentrepreneur.com. As of February 2018, my coaching roster is full, with spots opening up in early spring. But there are limited spaces for insight strategy sessions. Strategy sessions are designed for entrepreneurs and leaders who have a specific opportunity or challenge that requires focused attention. Your goal can be met or outcome achieved within a short period of time, and that would be four or fewer sessions. And you're looking for feedback, advice, brainstorming, and resources provided with a hybrid consulting and coaching approach. If you'd like to chat about strategy sessions and to find out if they're a good fit for you, I invite you to be in touch soon. You can email me at beth at theintrovertentrepreneur.com or fill out the online query form. I would be delighted to chat with you. Thank you so much for joining me. And thanks to Paul Messing, my podcast producer. I'm happy to be bringing you this first official podcast of 2018 and look forward to more awesome conversations in the coming year. This is Beth Bilo of The Introvert Entrepreneur. It's been a pleasure sharing this time with you. And until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job.